Again, we want to thank you for joining us today. I really enjoy the fact that we can come together, study God's Word, and hopefully learn some practical things so that we can live properly as we wait for the Lord's return. I think the Lord's coming soon. And of course, the whole message of BTIP is based on the second coming of Jesus Christ for the church and what God's plan is. And so today we want to continue that. And we're looking at the mysteries of God. And this is actually a continuation of part seven. Remember, in this whole study of the mysteries of God, there are 11 that the Bible explains, and, and we've seen that they have a, a large range of application. Matter of fact, the fundamental doctrines of the New Testament and the fundamental doctrines of the entire Bible are summarized in these mysteries of God. It goes from the virgin birth, as we looked at in one of our lessons, all the way to, to the description of the Antichrist. These were all the mysteries of God that God saw fit to reveal at a particular time, and I believe we're living in that time, and so we saw the mystery of iniquity he showed us how that would work. But now we're studying the kingdom of heaven. And these are primarily found in the Gospels and in the book of Matthew. And it's a very interesting study because it tells us the condition of things in Christendom, not necessarily the church, but in Christendom. And we know that these are things that we should be able to see if we're living in the last days. So here's what we looked at last week. We saw the fact that there was a parable. It's called the parable of the sower, but but remember, we mentioned that in many ways it should be called the parable of the, of the soil because it was really the soil that was so different. And remember, there were pathway people. And when the word of God came, well, a bird uh, representing the, the forces of, of Satan would come and snatch away the seed. And then there was stony ground sprang up. It was emotionalism. It was, it was the entertainment for the moment. There was a good feeling, but there was no fruit. And then remember, we saw the ground that had thorns and, and uh, all kinds of debris in it. And so it was impossible to get a crop because the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the, the lust of things and the pleasure of this life, all those were mentioned as the Lord taught that. All the way back in his day, 2,000 years ago, he was teaching on this. But thank God there was some good ground and that good ground brought forth fruit in a variety of ways. And then remember we looked at the, the amazing parable of the wheat and the tares, how that they looked alike. And one, the wheat was planted by, by the Lord himself. And the tares were planted by the devil himself. And while men were sleeping, the devil came in and, and polluted that, that wheat field. And the Lord said, no, let them grow together because you would damage the wheat. And so we know that the symbol here, the meaning that, that God had here was that, that things would not get better and better. But instead in Christendom, things would get worse and worse. The, the weeds, the tares would grow and they would stifle the wheat but God has a perfect time for him to come. And it was also interesting that we looked at this important principle in Matthew chapter 13. And again, I want to look at that verse because it's this another parable he spoke unto them. And then he goes on in verse 34 to say, All these things spoke Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spoke he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And so that's really the whole idea of the mysteries of God. God's plan has not changed. God's plan has been good all the way from the very beginning of time, even before Adam and Eve. God had a plan. And this plan, we're watching it take place, but it was kept secret. It was a mystery from the foundations of the world. And now, in the New Testament, as the Word of God is completed, God is showing us what that plan is and how we can be ready for His return and how we can be ready for the whole plan of God, the kingdom of God, and all that God has in store for us. So this week, we want to look at several more parables. 
And these are also part of the kingdom of God teachings. Matthew chapter 13 and verses 31 through 32. Just two verses. Here's what it says. Another parable put Jesus forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took, sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it's the greatest among the herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air came and lodged in the branches of it. That's, that's the entire parable. Well, look at this. He talks about a man, he sows something in his his field and it turns out to be a, a small seed, a mustard seed. I've been to Israel. I've seen mustard seeds right from there and sometimes people try to save them. They're so small if you don't have an envelope you're not going to save them because they're really very small. You see the comparison to just your fingertip. And so while it's small in size, this particular one, it grows to a tree. A couple things that I think are important. Number one, I want you to notice how that Jesus uses lessons from everyday life to illustrate his teachings. You see, when we come to the parables, here's something that's very important just in general. In the parables, there's one central idea that the Lord is trying to make. In other words, it's an illustration. And it's not an allegory. Now, an allegory, let's say like, like Paul Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, well, almost every single character and every single feature of the story, it has a, a spiritual counterpart. But that's not the case necessarily in a parable. In a parable, there's one central idea that the Lord is seeking to teach on. Now there's something very unique about this parable and here's what I think is interesting concerning this. The first two parables were very long in terms of the number of verses. But when we come to the two parables we're going to study today, they're, they're quite short. They're very brief. And it's also interesting that this parable concerning the mustard tree, it's contained in three of the Gospels. It's contained in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not very many of the parables other than this one, are contained in all the Gospels. But they go back and forth. Mar Matthew has almost all of them, but Mark and Luke, they alternate. And I also think it's interesting that, that Luke places it while Jesus is traveling with his disciples. In other words, this was something that was being told to the disciples on the way. And I'm sure that he was looking at a very scene. I'm going to show you a scene that I think they were looking at in Israel. But it's also interesting because Matthew places it with all the other parables concerning the kingdom. And what is unique about this is the fact that when you go to Israel, here's a vineyard, here's a field, and right on the side of the field, that's where the mustard plant would be placed. Now the reason I say that that's really important and interesting is because, first of all, Jesus uses things from everyday life. He wasn't talking about prepackaged food, he wasn't talking about a box of cereal. But you see, people there, they were around seeds. They had their own gardens. And so the mustard seed was known by every single person. It wasn't a mystery. You didn't have to take them to a special place to tell them about a mustard seed. You, could, you couldn't avoid a mustard seed. It was everywhere. It lined the fields. It was an important herb, and um, it was an important seed in their, in their cooking. And so it was often at the boundaries of the fields. I also think it's interesting because, you see, the mustard seed, which grows on the borders of the field, well, Matthew says it was placed in a field. I think it's true, but notice in a field. Luke says it was in a garden. I think that's true because, see, it would be the, the border of the garden. That's how you could tell your garden from, from your neighbor's garden. And Mark says it was planted in the ground. So all three Gospels, I'm going to say, give a different idea of that, but they blend together, and I'm sure that they're true. I like the picture because, you see, the picture is so typical of Israel. 
you know, as we, as we look at this, I, I want us to, to think of this, that in Luke's Gospel, when he, when he speaks of this, he talks about the fact that it would be a garden. And Matthew talks about a field. You don't realize how, how beautiful and, and how important it might be. But wow, it is important to see that, that in every way, God has this whole story planned out. Now, the mustard seed is really mentioned a number of times in Scripture. I don't have time to look at all of them, but one of them is in Matthew chapter 17, again in the Gospel of Matthew. And he speaks about the fact that if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can move a mountain. In other words, you had a, a small amount of faith. We usually think of a person having big faith, they can do big things. No, the power was God. It's, it's not our faith that has power, it's what we put our faith in. And so that was one of the great lessons of it. Now, when you talk concerning a, a mustard seed, and I've got to tell you that, that one of the fun things we do when we go to Israel, we, we try to go to these places. I've actually seen a place just like the one I showed you a picture of. And what is fun is that you can see in a field, here's mustard bushes. Normally, a mustard seed grows to a bush. Very seldom does it live long enough to become a tree, but it can. And I, and I know of several places in my mind right now where I can show you a mustard uh, tree. But normally it just went to a bush, but here's an actual picture where you see both the bushes on the side of the field, and then you see the tree. And the thing that's unique about this parable, it goes from a tiny seed to a bush, and this particular one, it grew into a tree. You see, the Lord is making an important point. And then it goes on to say this, that in this particular tree, there are birds that lodged and they were eating the fruit, they were damaging the tree so that any other animal that came there for shelter or for food, they, they would be robbed of it. I believe there's an important um, part of this and, and this important part has to do with this. Remember there were birds in the parable of the sower and they were agents of the devil that took away the seed that was put there. We find that there was also fowls of the earth that, that lodged in the tree of Daniel chapter 4. They represented the, the Gentile world powers and evil spirits. And even in the, the story in Genesis 15, it's interesting because in that story, we find that evil birds came, even in Genesis 15, and tried to destroy the promises that God was making to Abraham. So these birds are important in terms of what they mean. Now. This story, I believe, represents Christendom and not the church. And I want to pause here just for a minute, because if you think it represents the church, you can really get something that's a, a very unusual and poor translation, poor interpretation of the meaning. You see, Christendom started very small. Matter of fact, we, we read that there was 120 disciples. There surely were many more believers because of the earthly ministry that Jesus had. But in Acts 1, it talks about 120, and it continued to grow. But you see, this tree, it grew and it became huge. It was gloriously vain. I, I think that's important because it became a monstrosity. The birds of the air, they lodged in it and they were damaging and it caused damage as well. You see, as something grows, things don't always get better and better. Often they get worse and worse as they grow. And I think this is a picture and it's not a pleasant picture for today. Because here's what the Gospel of Luke chapter 18 says. It says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. In other words, things are getting worse and worse. Remember the story of the wheat and the tares? Uh, as the tares grew, 
Things were getting worse and worse until finally God said, I'm going to come. I'm going to take the harvest. And so we find here that a similar message is presented in this. Christendom, not the church. You see, the point of the church is to get purer and purer, holier and holier, to be more like Christ, but not so in Christendom. And so these parables are speaking of a similar message. The wheat, as it waits for to be ripened, the tares come in and the tares grow quicker and they represent the, the evil and the wickedness of it. Now, let's go to this second parable. And it's interesting again, Matthew chapter 13, and it says this, another parable spoke Jesus unto them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took, hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. One verse. Think again about how large some of the other parables are, but this is just a, a one-verse parable. And I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, it was the action of a woman. Next, three measures of meal. Why, why is that important? Well, here's why I think it is. First of all, the idea of three measures of meal, it's really three satas. And these satas are are a measure that would be about 13 liters. So we're looking at something that's 39 liters. Matter of fact, that's about 50 pounds of dough. That's too big for a single family. It's probably too big for an extended family. And so she, she takes and she hides the leaven in the dough. And as she does so, the leaven permeates the entire batch. Okay, what in the world does this mean? Well, again, this is something that occurred all the time. Every home would have a, a woman that would be making bread and probably putting leaven into it. So what does this parable mean? Well, I believe the Bible says that leaven is a picture of false and damaging doctrine. And throughout the, the New Testament, particularly the, the teachings of Jesus, we'll see where Jesus uses it in exactly that way. Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, the disciples, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In other words, beware of their doctrine, beware of what they're teaching. They were teaching legalism. They were teaching things that, that weren't part of the Holy Scripture. And they certainly had perverted the way of salvation. Matthew chapter 16, verse 12. Then the disciples understood how that he told them not to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the Bible uses on many occasions this idea of leaven to mean false doctrine and damaging doctrine. Now, let's go back to our story again and notice that it was a woman. A woman puts this leaven into the dough and the leaven permeates the entire batch of dough and it made a special point that it was a woman. In our studies, remember, we've looked at Revelation chapter 2 and the woman called Jezebel. She was an evil woman that was introducing false doctrine into the church there as they picture the seven churches. Or we looked at it in Zechariah chapter 5. Remember, the Bible said this is wickedness. There was something wicked that this woman was going to do. And I think it even goes further. Remember the harlot? We study the mystery of iniquity of the harlot. And in Revelation 17, that harlot represented a prostitute that sold herself to the political people of the time. It was a false church. It wasn't the true church. It was a false church. And so when we look at this simple little parable, one verse long, the yeast is hidden from sight, it's invisible, yet it changes and puffs up the whole loaf. Here's, I think, the idea that Jesus is trying to convey. He's trying to tell them, beware of doctrine. Because while it may be sown secretly into the dough, it permeates the entire thing. Now, many people look at this 
particular parable, and they think that the leaven is the gospel. My friend, it, it just can't be. Because you see, why would you hide the gospel? Why would, we don't find that the gospel permeates everywhere. Yeah, it's, 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 it just doesn't make sense with the whole thing. But it's certainly not the gospel because what is sown here is evil. Matter of fact, here's what the Bible says about the last days. I, I want you to see how important this whole idea is because in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience severed with a hot iron. And it goes on and on. It says that this is false doctrines. It's seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. What a warning for the last days. And it clearly says the last days. Or if we go just over to 2 Timothy. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And Timothy again deals with this, this very notion. Chapter 4 in verse 3. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They, they, they want preachers and teachers who, who make them laugh, who make them feel good, but not convict them of sin and not convict them to live righteously and holy in these last days as a way for Jesus to come. It says, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall turn to fables. But watch thou in all things enduring afflictions. Watch, what, a, what an important word for the last days. Or try this one, Second Peter chapter two. And uh, I, again, I, I look at this and I say, I think that the Lord really has uh, an important lesson in this. And, and I've gotta be honest with you. I have so many people tell me, you know, we're waiting for a revival. I, I would love it if a revival would come, but I don't think we should say we're waiting for that. No, we're waiting for the Lord to come. Second Peter chapter two, listen to what it says. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who secretly shall bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom they, the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And it goes on to talk about how that, that these people will bring in these false doctrines, false teachers among you. Wow, we're looking at that. All right, and let me give you one more, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and, and uh, just today I was thinking of this passage, and, and I, th I think it's worth mentioning to you because it's that important. Acts chapter 20, it's the Apostle Paul speaking to, speaking to those at Ephesus. And here's what he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch, there's that key word again, watch, and remember that for the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. And so Paul's last charge to these elders in Ephesus was that there's gonna be false doctrine, false teachers are gonna come in and they're gonna use a variety of ways, some getting you to follow them, some speaking perverse things, but to draw away uh, after, after their own self. We're living in that day and time. 
I'm, I'm shocked as I, as I look what's taking place in Christendom today. You see, these parables on the kingdom of heaven picture Christendom, not the true church. The true church again gets pure and pure because we want to be ready for the coming of Christ. We want to see him and we want to be pure. But here's the church and in the church we find that the tares, they, they were right with the, with the wheat and they were there until the very end. The, the mustard seed tree, it was having uh, an outward show of these, of these horrible birds and the leaven, it was inward. I think it's a great lesson about outward growth, but it was a polluted system. Oh yeah, they could boast big numbers. But the big numbers, it was because they left the true doctrine. Same was true, the churches in Revelation chapters two and three that, that is mentioned by the Apostle John. And then, inwardly, the growth, yeah, the, the, the dough gets bigger, it puffs up. And you have to push it down and it puffs up. You see, there was growth. This, this is an inward idea of a corrupted system. The tree, the mustard tree, was an outward growth of a false polluted system. Do you see what he's talking about in the last days? You see, as we look at these things, our goals today should not be just to get bigger and bigger. I'm, I'm hoping many people come to Christ. But sometimes we compromise the truth of God's word. We compromise doctrine. We compromise our standards just to get bigger and bigger. It can corrupt and ruin a business. It can corrupt and ruin a school. It can corrupt and ruin a church. And that's the lesson of the mustard tree. And that's the lesson of the leaven. Because you see, our purpose today should be to be pure and holy as we see the day of the Lord's appearing, approaching. I think of what 1 John says. Again, it's so important, I, I just want to take a minute to read it. But it says this, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as Christ is pure. You see, I say again today, are you ready? And the reason I say that is, some for salvation, are you ready? Because the Lord's coming. These signs of the kingdom of heaven are certainly upon us. The corruption, the pollution, the false doctrine, we're, we're watching it take place. I was reading just this week that there are actually churches, we call them mainline churches, who are meeting with the Mormons to find if we can have a, a compromised doctrine. Is there, is there some common ground? The answer is no, there, there's no common ground. It's a cult. It perverts the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm shocked when I see churches that are, that are trying to meet with, with Islam and they have this, this chrislam and they say, you know, there's, there's common ground. There's a lot of things we agree on. No, we disagree on the deity of Christ. We disagree on the plan of salvation. We can't compromise those things. But the Bible indicates that in the last days, the professing church, Christendom, it would depart. Some outwardly, some inwardly, but the damage was done. And my friend, I'm afraid that we're looking at that today. You see, the wheat and the tares is gonna come and he's gonna harvest the wheat. And then the tares, the false professors, they're gonna be gathered, they're gonna be thrown to destruction. Are you ready? If you know Christ, are you seeking to be pure and holy? Because he's coming soon, and so the Bible says watch for him, long for him, look for him. And if you've never accepted Christ, this would be a great day. You know we're close to the coming of the Lord. Every indicator shows that the tribulation is about to begin. Every indicator says that Christ could be here at any time. Have you ever admitted to God that you're a sinner, that you've sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the result is, by our sin we earn death. The wages of sin is death. 
why would you why would you want to be separated from God? Because that's what death is. It separates the body from the spirit and the soul. And it separates you from a holy, wonderful God. So number one, admit you're a sinner. Number two, acknowledge the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, he had no sin. But instead he bore my sin, he bore your sin. He shed his blood. He was buried. Three days later, he came alive from the dead. That's because God approved of his death as a substitute for my sin and for your sin. And number three, personally accept him. Don't just know it as a fact, but personally say, Jesus Christ, I take your death as a payment for my sin. My friend, you could be ready for Christ to come. He's coming soon. Are you ready? All the indicators, even the parables of the kingdom, show that we're on the brink of Jesus coming. I pray today you'll come to Christ if you've never received him. I pray today you'll live for Christ because he's coming soon. Father, we thank you for this time we can spend in your word. Father, I thank you for the message of these parables, how clear it is that we must be living in the last days when the leaven is permeating the whole batch of dough. And the tree, it's, it's gone, gone so big that, that the vultures, the, the satanic birds are living in it and picking the fruit and devouring the animals that come for protection. Father, soon you're coming, and I pray that we'll be watching and loving your appearing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.